If you'd take your Bible with me and turn to uh, the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, we're going to start a, a series in, in John's Gospel. Uh, John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's the fourth Gospel uh, given to us. Um, the Gospels are, are, are accounts of the life of Jesus that begin um, early in his life and extend through um, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and then finally ascension. Um, each of them records things a little bit differently. We'll talk about that in a moment. But this morning, um, we're going to bite off just a couple of verses in John's prologue. John's gospel is organized in three different way, or three different books or sections, we could say. Uh, the first simply being a prologue, uh, which is really theologically rich and really helpful to us. That's what we're going to read this morning. We're going to spend some time thinking about the first two verses in John's, uh, John's gospel prologue. And then uh, the second section in John's gospel begins in verse 19 of chapter 1 and extends to the end of chapter 10. That, that is the book of signs. Jesus does signs and wonders among the people in, uh, in John's gospel. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other gospel authors, you call them miracles, but John opts for the term signs, and we'll talk about that more when we get to that section. And then the final section of John's gospel begins in chapter 11 and extends to the end of the book. Uh, that's called the book of glory, where we see kind of just the last few days of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, and he is moving then towards the cross, uh, and then a commissioning of his disciples after, after his resurrection. So this morning, I'm going to read, uh, again, the entire prologue, which is, is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Uh, and then we're going to just, like I said, talk about the first two verses that we see, see here in, in John's, John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we, all, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
I love the beginning of John's gospel. Uh, but before we go there, again, back up. I want to I talk a little bit about how this book or this gospel is fixed in, in the New Testament. So this is, again, the fourth book in the New Testament, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke pre- precede it uh, there. Um, each one, each gospel, tells the story of Jesus' life on earth, which ultimately ends in his death, burial, and resurrection, like I said just a moment ago. But John's gospel is particularly unique. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three, tell the story in, in a pretty similar way. They tell the story of Jesus' life in a pretty similar way. John's gospel, again, uh, is relatively unique compared to these other ones. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, these authors were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write gospel accounts, and they chose to, to share material, however that worked, between the three of them. And Mark was the first, the first of the, the gospel writers. His, his was written first. Matthew and Mark would follow, or Matthew and Luke would follow, pulling, pulling information from him and then compiling information on their own as well. The Gospel of John was actually written quite a bit later. It was actually written quite a bit later after these three Gospels were written. Because the, uh, the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, lived to be quite old. He was uh, 80-ish years old when he, when he passed away. And while that doesn't seem like a long time for us in first century Palestine, 80 years old is, is old. It's, it's old. Um, the, our life expectancies extend beyond that now. He, though life expectancies then didn't make it much past 50 or maybe even 60 years if you were lucky. And, and while that, again, uh, and when John writes this book, it's towards the end of his life. But he was a young man when he walked with, with Jesus Christ. He had a lifetime then to reflect on the words of Jesus, what Jesus had communicated to to him as he walked with Jesus as one of his 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 disciples, but even within those 12, we learn very clearly that that Jesus invested in three of those men even more so. He took took, uh, special care with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and, and the gospel writer, John. And so John knew Jesus from a really unique perspective. And while Matthew, Mark, and Luke give a relatively similar account to Jesus' life, and don't, don't get me wrong, they are unique in their own right. If you read them, you'll see, you'll see their unique uh, takes on, on the life of Jesus. John feels quite a bit different in, in the, the words and the language that he uses are different because he's reflecting out of a place of depth of intimacy with, with Jesus uh, that he had in Jesus' life here on earth. And so the text then that we're going to consider this morning, and we read the entire prologue, but we're just going to consider the first two verses in the Gospel of John. The, the first two verses here is Jesus really keying on, if I read this for us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John is really keying here on God's self-expression, or we may call self-disclosure. Uh, those are terms that, when I say them, you may think, well, what do you mean by that? But those are terms that were actually really, really familiar to us, especially the idea of self-expression. <clears throat> 
the ability to express oneself is part of what it means to, as people bear the image of God. So the Bible is clear that we bear the image of God, and part of that is the ability to express ourselves in various ways. And we have lots of avenues to express ourselves. Uh, Usually when we think about self-expression, we think about artistic ability, say painting or woodworking or music. But there is a dynamic to self-expression found in everything that we do. There's a dynamic of self-expression and found in everything that we do. <clears throat> Our work, uh, just think about it. Think about your, your work and the unique and nuanced approach that you bring to the workplace. You may sit in an office with people who have the same job description as you, but you bring a unique and nuanced perspective to that job itself. Um, and it looks different, and your career will work itself out differently than the people around you. This is a form of self-expression. Or, or if you're a stay-at-home parent, consider the unique way God has gifted you and the way that that comes out in the way that you nurture and that you raise your, your kids and care for your home. Or we could even think about the local church. Uh, the use of our time and treasure and talents, whatever God has given to you, especially in your unique giftings, is seen in self-expression as you engage with other people in the midst and the body of Christ. Or just consider something as simple as communication. Think about something as simple as the words that you speak throughout your day to your spouse or your kids or your neighbors or your coworkers. The very words that come out of your mouth reflect what's going on in your heart. And when we say heart, we're talking about the command center. We're talking about the the center of who we are as individuals. Um, We're not just talking about emotions. We're talking about command central for ourselves. Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we are, what's happening in our heart comes out in the way that we speak. Those, those moments, those sort of unguarded moments demonstrate very clearly or are the clearest expressions of ourselves. And if that's not a convicting thought, I don't know what is. We all know that it's what it's like to have something come up out of us in our speech that we don't really or didn't know was there, or just simply aren't, aren't proud of. And so we must consider then for us that our self-expression, despite the fact that that's built into us by God, who, uh, who created us in his image, our self-expression is actually uh, corrupted at some level by sin. And so our self-expression is imperfect. It comes out and it's corrupted and um, and ultimately, the, the, the goal oftentimes in our self-expression is to make much of us instead of make much of God, which is what our self-expression ultimately is designed for. But even as our self-expression is corrupted at some level by sin, uh, it's not so with God. That's not the case with God. When John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and in the beginning or he was in the beginning with God, the word, that word that you see word there, capitalized in your Bible, is 
is meant to refer to the incorruptible self-expression of God himself. And the reason that word is capitalized there is because what John is referring to by saying the word is Jesus Christ. The word is Jesus Christ. And if you bump down the page a little ways to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. We see very clearly that John is saying the word took on flesh. This is Jesus Christ. Um, Taking on flesh, this is what we would refer to as the incarnation. Jesus taking on flesh and dwelling among his his creatures. So God's self-expression took on flesh and dwelt among us. The word that was in the beginning, that was with God and was God, this word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's incorruptible self-expression. This is important for us to understand because when we get to John's gospel, we see clearly that John wants to communicate something to us about, about, um, about Jesus Christ. He wants to push us towards a deeper and more profound understanding of Jesus Christ, particularly as it relates to his deity or his being God. And so this is who we are introduced to in the first few verses of John's gospel, the second person of the Trinity. Um, When we hear from God, God is disclosing himself. He is expressing himself, and that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ, always comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is, according to John, God. And so in these two verses, we are going to consider three things then that John communicates about God's self-expression. Three things that that John communicates about Jesus Christ to us. This is what they are. God's self-expression exists in eternity. God's self-expression exists in community. And God's self-expression exists in unity. God, so we'll break those off one by one. The, the first one is that we see right away in the first clause or the very first part of verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And then we see it uh, restated in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. God's self-expression exists in eternity. And, and here's what's so amazing about what, about what John does in his gospel, the way that it begins. It doesn't begin like Matthew and Luke begin with the birth of Jesus Christ. They begin with a birth narrative. But John actually begins with the beginning of everything, everything that we see. Because John wants to clearly communicate to us that Jesus' birth was not his beginning. He pre-exists that, and he pre-exists creation. There was never a time where Jesus was not. Jesus was not created. He has no beginning. And so when John writes, in the beginning, he's taking us back to another in the beginning. The very first words of Scripture in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we skip to the end of the book, the Apostle John actually, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually gives us the purpose in writing this gospel account. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, 
He writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is giving us the purpose, again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving us the purpose for writing these things down. He's saying that Jesus did lots of other stuff as well, which are recorded here. But these things that he has compiled here are given to us in order that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him we may have life in his name. Now, part of this recognition is knowing exactly who Jesus Christ is. And so that's why John takes the first 18 verses in, in his gospel to give us an important perspective, an important truth about who, who Jesus is. The hero of John's gospel is Jesus Christ. But John doesn't just want to communicate that the hero of his gospel is Jesus Christ. By saying what he says, by saying in the beginning was the word, John is communicating that Jesus is the hero of all of the scriptures. That Jesus is the the hero of everything that preceded, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and so on and so forth. Everything you see in the Old Testament, Jesus is the hero of those things as well because he pre-existed creation and represents God's sovereign self-expression in creation. And Jesus Christ is the one John is introducing to us to again in Genesis or in John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning of was the word, the divine word is Jesus and he was there in the beginning because he has always been and always will be. Throughout history, it's been popular and probably was even popular when John wrote his gospel to, uh, to claim that Jesus was not eternal, that Jesus was not present in the beginning, but it, that Jesus was in fact created and had a definite defined beginning. But John is actually refuting that thinking right here. He's refuting the thinking by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. By calling Jesus the word, John shows us that Jesus is God's self-expression, and there has never been a time where God was not a God of self-expression. Because if there was a time where God was not a God of self-expression, then one could accuse God of changing. But the Bible, again, is clear. God's own self-expression about himself. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. And James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The Bible is full of, of, of communication that God is a God who does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 says that specifically about Jesus Christ, who is God. God expresses himself and always has expressed himself in love and in his glory and his goodness and his, and his kindness. And the list goes on and on. And since God's self-expression is the person of Jesus Christ, there was not a time in eternity past or will be a time in eternity future that Jesus Christ did not or will not exist. 
So God's self-expression exists in eternity. The, the second thing, though, that we find out very quickly here when John says, uh, and the word was with God, we find out that God's self-expression exists in, in community. And we see this in verse 1, right? Right there. And the word was with God. If, the, if Jesus Christ, the Son, exists in eternity past, he has always existed in community with God the Father and with God the Spirit. This is part of the wonderful doctrine of the Trinity. God is one in yet three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Trinity is a significant theme throughout John's Gospel, so we'll process more together about the Trinity in our time here. But Jesus often refers to the Father and his relationship with him in, in John's Gospel. And he also promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples uh, prior to his ascension. And it would seem that John's audience, if we were to think about who John was writing this book to, uh, it would seem that it's primarily a, a Jewish audience. And so they would have had a handle on the Old Testament. And one of the most important vital texts for, for Jewish life in the first century would have centered on Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 which begins in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, with these simple words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so the doctrine of the Trinity affirms the oneness of God, but also finds three distinct persons there, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the outworking of this Trinitarian relationship, this holy communion between Father, Son, and Spirit, which has always existed this is where we find this community, like God's self-expression existing in community. There is great joy among the three persons of the Godhead because they are in sync with one another perfectly. Their aim is never divided, but is centered on bringing God glory. Their relationship is unchanging, completely transparent, and their communion can cannot be disrupted because it is completely incorruptible and completely set apart or completely holy. If, if you're married, you know what it's like to be synced up with your spouse. If that happens, it's good. It's a good thing. You're on the same page. There's joy in the relationship. When you experience that type of synchronized direction, you're experiencing a pale reflection of the, the communion that God has with himself in the Trinity. And so that's what John means when he says, and the word was with God. But finally though, he says at the end of verse one, and the word was God. And this points us to God's self-expression, which exists in unity. John writes, and the word was God. With God points us to the Trinitarian relationship. Was God points us to the unified oneness of God. Another key theme we're going to find throughout John's gospel is Jesus repeatedly self-disclosing himself as God. He continually says to his disciples and to the religious leadership and to those who he interacts with that he is God. Uh, Jesus famously makes seven I am statements in John's gospel. Um, which are rooted in Exodus chapter 3, where Jesus says to Moses in the burning bush, he tells Moses to go to Egypt and he tells him to free the Israelites. And then in Exodus 3, 13 and 14, says this, 
Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The the name of God given in the New Testament or in the Old Testament to the people of God is Yahweh, which roughly translates uh, I am. Jewish people, even to this day, uh, will not or don't speak the name of God out loud. Rather, they substitute it typically with the word Adonai, which means Lord. And when you read your Old Testament, if you flip back to the Psalms really quickly, you'll see often you'll see the word Lord in all caps and that's actually the name of god there uh, that our our uh our translators have opted to put in a a stand-in for the name of god out of reverence but jesus makes in john's gospel seven i am statements uh seven distinct times jesus claims to be god by beginning a statement with the words i am In John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep and I am the good shepherd. In John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, he calls himself the true true vine. Jesus is saying, just like he does in Exodus 3, I am who I am. I am God. Uh, Jesus makes many other deity claims throughout the book of John. And once you read through the gospel, you, there's no doubt in your mind that Jesus is actually claiming to be God. And, and the reality, too, is the way that John structures his gospel. When Jesus comes to the end of his life, he actually is crucified on charges of blasphemy. Because those who brought him before the religious leadership and before Pontius Pilate did not believe that he was who he says he said he was. Um, before we move on, I hope that you caught that I said Jesus in Exodus 3. Because you might be thinking, well, he misspoke there. But no, I didn't. Um, we want to apply John's theology here. Uh, in to, if Jesus is the hero of John's gospel, and according to John, if he's the hero of all of the scriptures, then the reality is that... Uh, when God discloses himself or expresses himself, even in the Old Testament, when he speaks to Moses in the burning bush, that's actually Jesus Christ who's speaking those words. When we sit down with our Bibles in our laps and consider what is contained there, that's God's sovereign self-expression coming through the page to us, and we are encountering Jesus, encountering Jesus Christ Just as when Moses encountered the burning bush, which disclosed to him who it was that was sending him, that was Jesus Christ. God is expressing himself through scripture to us, even in this moment, and it's it's Jesus Christ. And so we can say with clarity that Jesus Christ is God based on what what John writes here in verse, verse 1. So what, what should we take away from these two verses as we begin our time in John's gospel together? The, the first thing is this. The first thing is this, or just what I just said a moment ago. Don't, don't be deceived. Jesus is God, 
And God is speaking to you through his word. Men and women often ask the question, like, what if those doors right there, what if Jesus walked through those doors? How would we, what would we think? What would we say? How would we act? Um, that's a nice mental exercise maybe, but the reality is that Jesus Christ is present in this place because his word is present in this place. God's sovereign self-expression in the form of the Bible that you hold in front of you this morning is and should be considered the same as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is present here in this place because the word of God is present here in this place. This is why we opt to start each sermon on Sunday with with the Bible, um, with Scripture, why we read Scripture often in congregational worship. We don't start with our thoughts and opinions, uh, but the Word of God is God's self-expression, and it's Jesus Christ, and therefore we will begin there every time. And this is why we encourage you as individuals to read your Bible with consistency, both individually and, and corporately together. is because by doing so, you're engaging with the sovereign Savior, the King of the universe, Jesus Christ. When we read our Bible, we meet the one true and living God exactly the way he wants us to, through Jesus Christ. Uh, secondly, though, second takeaway, we as a church are a called to reflect God in both unity and in, in community. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we can offer. And this is where this comes to a head. Jesus Christ is the word of God who took on flesh, who dwelled among his creatures, who came to earth and lived a sinless life that we could not, and went to the cross in our place for the forgiveness of our sins, in order that we might be reconciled to God and then through his resurrection have uh, the hope of eternal life given to us. That is the focal point of our unity in our community. We have unity in it because we don't center ourselves on anything other than it. The reality is we don't have any hope outside of the truth of the gospel. Because everything that we are encouraged to hope in, in our day-to-day, is shifting sand. It moves. It, it changes quickly. It can't offer hope beyond the moment, or maybe the minute, or maybe the year. It can't offer hope for eternity like the gospel can. And so as a church, we don't center ourselves on anything other than it, because the, the music will change. Styles and, and words and all of those things will change, and the building will will come and go and it will need repair and maintenance and not our organizational structure because there are, again, moment-to-moment things that, that are ebbing and flowing in our midst. But rather, we center our unity and our community in the gospel. We don't have anything better to offer one another outside of the gospel. And we have community in it because it becomes that which we are centered around. The question, do we have anything that to communicate to one another that is better than the good news of Jesus Christ? The answer is no. Do we have any better mission than to take the good news that Jesus makes sinners right before God to Jamestown or the state of North Dakota or to the world? The answer is no. We have no better mission because there is nothing that we can offer the world that won't change in a minute outside of the gospel, which is the hope for eternity. 
The last thing that I would say as a takeaway is this, though. We reflect the unity and community that is seen in God by using our self-expression to point clearly to his self-expression. What we've been given as individuals is to be used to point to Jesus Christ. That could be our gifts, it could be our talents, it could be our resources, it could be our time. But we should see that, unlike our society, which communicates to us that our self-expression is designed to make much of us, uh, we should see that our self-expression is actually given to us to make much of God. We see clearly that God expresses himself, and wherever he expresses himself, whether in his creation or in his word, right there is Jesus Christ. So through our time in John's Gospel, as we unpack this, the, this book together, it's my prayer that you would grow in love for under, in, in understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. That's what John wants us to see very clearly who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so the descriptions, they're so rich. The interactions between Jesus and, and those who he comes in contact with in the book and the discourses, the sermons, he preaches, they're, they're all so, so rich and designed that we might believe in Jesus Christ and that through him we might have life. So praise God, we would say, for revealing himself to us through his sovereign self-disclosure in Jesus Christ.